You're listening to The Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Let us pray. Lord, as we come now to the time to open up your word, I ask, Lord, that your spirit will give my mouth words of truth, words of life, and peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for singing that last short little hymn twice. It just uh, grabbed my heart when I saw that, and uh, I, I asked Lindsay to put that in to sing twice because it's just something I couldn't just sing once without saying it again. Yes, amen, Lord. Let's sing it again. So thanks for uh, doing that. Uh, and indulging me a little bit. Uh, The sermon title, as you see from the bulletin, is kind of odd, but I'm kind of odd too, I guess. And I I called it 23 and Me, or Bible and Me, like there's a choice between the two. And I think in a way there is, but the question that I would like to pose for you and myself is how do we understand life? How do we know how to live? How do we understand what's going on? How do we understand politics? How do we understand militant Islam? How do we understand the sexual morality change that's in the generations of most of us here has been an enormous change? How do we understand it and what does it mean and where is it going? And how do we, anybody, believer or unbelievers, how do people look at the question of how do I know what's going on? How do I know how to behave? How do I know what to think? Or how do I know how to vote, for that matter? I'm not going to get into that, by the way. So, uh, uh, Well, some people, and the 23 and me comes, they, they, they sign up for one of those genetic testing services and find out what their ancestors were like, what diseases did they have, what kind of a life did they live, were they a bunch of criminals and reprobates, and because and I'm their descendant and maybe I, I'm going to get the, one of those diseases or have one of those sin patterns in my life. And, uh, but I'm not recommending that at all. I'm recommending that, that we discharge that instantly as unscriptural and unnecessary. So. Uh, what else do, do people use? Uh, well, maybe just the plain genealogy, uh, which is usually part of that, but some people go to fortune tellers. And uh, in fact, I had a, a lady that came to faith in my first congregation in New York City who was a fortune teller. And uh, one of our members kept witnessing to her and witnessing to her, and she came to faith. And so she brought her books, and she had written many of them, over to the church. And we had a big bonfire of all of those fortune-telling books. So if any of you have any of those, I do recommend that. And, uh, and then a, another uh, kind of thing is that we might seek is our own common sense. But as somebody has said, there's... Uh, common, nothing 
common about common sense is sensible. So uh, uh, that's probably a kind of a loser too because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve and our common sense is, is kind of warped even when we don't want it to be. So, well, then, then what? Maybe more education. Maybe if I get a PhD, I'll, I'll be much wiser and know how to make choices and understand the history of the world and political systems, and, and I'll know how to understand my life. But I, I don't recommend that either. I mean, that's interesting, but it's, I believe it's a spiritual problem. And uh, that's none of those kind of remedies are going to lead us anywhere. Well, but then we often go to parents. I did until my parents died. And uh, now my, my kids don't come to me, but my grandkids do. And <laughs> that's kind of cute, but uh, well, the kids do occasionally as well. But I tell them, you know, don't, uh, don't guide your whole life what I think, because I'm a, a broken follower of Jesus, just like you and every Christian on earth. And uh, then uh, close friends, if they're Christians, that is good, I think, to talk to people who know the Lord and know his word. And then last, but uh, one that I, I know from personal experience, because my bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees are all in psychology, clinical and counseling psychology. And there's a lot of people go to psychotherapists and counselors to try to figure out who they are, why they feel the way they do, what's happening. And uh, I can, half of that career, by the way, was not in clinical work, but in research and researching the effectiveness of counseling. And I can tell you the research is not a promising one. And that's why as a pastor, and I, I had been working in the mental health field for 20 years before I went to seminary. And, uh, but by that time, I had discovered that as the superintendent of a state hospital in Georgia, that the most healing therapeutic thing I could do was particularly with suicidal people, was to spend time in God's word with them. Yeah, antidepressants were helpful because it kind of calmed things down a little bit so they could focus on God's word. But uh, depression is a huge problem. It's uh, in the world today and in America. And of course, one of the symptoms of depression is suicidal activity, which if you read the newspapers, is increasing dramatically among teenagers. Well, if you know a teenager who's been cutting themselves or has some damage to their arms or legs, uh, I would urge you to seek a Christian, a thoroughly Christian counselor, and they're very rare. It's almost an oxymoron, Christian counselor. Uh, but, uh, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more because uh, of the prevalence of depression. And uh, in fact, uh, as I look at you today, the prevalence is twice for women that it is for men. And uh, so there'd be probably 
25 of you right now who are diagnosably coping with, ma with major depressive disorder. But it's the Word of God, and the Word of God that heals, the Word of God that answers. It's not our genetics or all those other kind of things, but that. Well, my passion, as you can probably tell, is to advocate the Word of God over any and everything else for all the problems of life. It doesn't matter what they are. The Word of God tells us how to meet them. But if, we're, if it's, that's where we find the answer, then, gee, we've got to be in the Word. So my passion is, is, from the rest of this message on, is to try to find ways to express to you how significant and important it is, not only for your life, but all the people you meet and know and love, people with difficulties and problems. What are you going to say to them? Usually, most people just have some platitudes that don't mean much. But if you've been in the Word of God, that will uh, just come to you. And let me give you one illustration, and I'm going to give you several illustrations from my own life, but uh, just to show you how significant that is. And I didn't plan to, to use this one, but it just popped into my mind. Uh, for two and a half years, I worked on a, a little uh, team with Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's youngest daughter. And she had a, mi a ministry to people with all kinds of life-controlling hurts and sorrows and brokenness and conditions. And I had written a, a support curri curriculum for people with depression, which she heard about and called me and asked me to come be on her team, going to churches and colleges around the U.S. and Canada to minister to people. And the, the others on the team had other life-controlling issues that they had coped with. Well, mine was because, and I got into that because I came into a depression uh, in the, my junior year in college. And that really uh, caused me a great deal of difficulty and pain and almost cost me the girl I'm looking at over there, my wife, <laughs> who uh, I met at South High School in 1956 saw her in the lunchroom, and God put a spotlight on her, and I knew that that 15-year-old girl was going to be my wife. So I proposed to her. I was an older, mature man of 17. And, uh, <laughs> and she said, no way. <laughs> so that kept up for four years until I was through college, and, uh, and then she said, to my surprise one day, I'd given up by then, she said, okay. <laughs> okay what? <laughs> so we can get married now. And uh, so she's been a, a great godly joy and partner ever since. But uh, she didn't uh, usually accompany the Ruth Graham events uh, well, there's one time we were in Benton, Texas. Uh, that's where the Benton crude oil is gushing out of the ground and everything, and a very wealthy congregation with uh, 4,000 members. 
and usually f more than that in Sunday worship. So you can imagine that was not a small building. And, uh, but on Saturday, uh, I had my presentation and we, all the, of us specialists in various problem areas, uh, had different rooms to, to meet in. And I spoke about depression and uh, research in it and, and the God's involvement and care about hurting people, hurt people who hurt that way. And Well, afterwards, I always said, if you have questions, you can just stay and I'll answer them. And so about seven or eight people stayed behind, but there was one that stayed back toward the back of the church. I thought she was probably waiting for somebody who came forward, but I answered the questions. And then she came forward alone and she said, I want you to follow me out the aisle out the back door and I'm going to turn right and please follow me and pretend you don't know me. I thought, that'll be easy. I don't know you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I really was puzzled. What in the world is going on? And uh, so we went down the hallway and then turned down another hallway and there, then there was a room that had a big sign over it said prayer room. And she went in there and I went in after it and we sat down and I said, what's your question? She said, I want to know why God doesn't want me. I said, what makes you think God doesn't want you? And, and by the way, she said, by introduction, she said, I'm the director of children's ministry for this uh, congregation, and we have uh, a thousand kids in my program. And she said, but God doesn't want me. And uh, what makes you think he doesn't? She said, well, last week I went down to the railroad tracks in town and the 2 p.m. freight train that always is on time came by and I was lying on the tracks and that blankety-blank train never came. And so I lay on that track for about three hours until my back was killing me and I got up and came home. And now I want you to tell me why God doesn't want me. And, uh, well, immediately the thought came to my mind, which probably is coming to your mind. Well, <laughs> you got it backwards. The reason that train didn't come is because he wants you in this world, in this life. And he, those kids need you. And she looked kind of puzzled. But then I found, just immediately popping to mind, scriptures that I had never memorized, but I had read many times. Uh, and feeding her scripture. And I could see that as I finished each little passage that she would brighten up, straighten up, and her facial expression changed. And I could see a, a peace coming across her face. And she, after about half an hour of that, I ran out of scriptures and I said, well, let's pray. And so I prayed with her that, the Lord would carry that depression away. And at that point, I thought he already had, but that was the end of it. And uh, I never saw her again, but uh, about a month and a half later, Ruth Graham called me and said, hey, Don, I got a, a, a letter from a lady from the congregation in Benton, Texas, and she wanted me to thank you for giving her a new vision and hope 
and life and, and to tell you that she's doing that ministry with all of her strength and finding great peace and joy in doing it. And uh, I just share that as, as part of this passion I feel for every Christian to read the scripture enough that it's in there. Uh, I've never had a great memory. And when I turned 80, what I did have went away. So, <laughs> but there's something about it that stores up, I think, in the heart. If you read the scripture and by the time of that Benton time, Judy and I had been reading scripture every single morning. Uh, and, uh, I had not yet retired, so when I retired, that made it a lot easier because I didn't have to quit after a half hour or so. So these days, and for the last 20 years since I retired, we spend 45 minutes to an hour every, every morning except Sunday uh, because we're going to go hear some scripture anyway. And, uh, and that has made aging something that, that is full of peace and anticipation, thinking about the, the kingdom that's coming, what's happened when my life is done. It's, there's a, you know, it doesn't produce suicidal thoughts like that lady had, that shortcut to, to that kingdom, but it's, it's boy, the, the best is yet to come because I see it every time I read the word of God. I get a new sense of what God has for me and for the world. And so I want to especially urge you to take time. Now, before I retired, both in the mental health world and then as a pastor, I couldn't take an hour every morning. Uh, my sermon time was pretty much my time in God's word. It always took me about 20 to 30 hours a week to prepare a sermon. and. Uh, and I was always tried to be very thorough about that. So that, that gave me a lot. But that, my focus was on what that message was to be that Sunday. But in retirement, I had no agenda, no sermon, except this last week. And uh, uh, I found as we spent that 45 minutes to an hour every morning that I began to understand my life, my kids, my grandkids, and my 11 great-grandkids a little bit better. And uh, now if our three kids can produce that many, why well, I guess I don't know how many there will be when all is said and done, but uh, uh, they love to gather at our house at, uh, at Christmas time or at our 63rd wedding anniversary. All 26 of them showed up. and. Uh, Boy, was that a mess. But, uh, <laughs> but I knew how to love them, how to talk to them, how to speak to them about how to grow up in a world that, that breaks my heart for those kids. Because the world they're growing up in, the, the country they're growing up in, is not the one that, that I and most of you grew up in. Uh, it's a... We're like ancient Israel now, who's apostatized from God and worships false idols and sensuality and debauchery and 
uh, we're in a mess of a world. So how do we speak to unbelievers or to kids or grandkids or great-grandkids who've got to face this world? Well, it's that thing that it's been in the Word all week. You just know. Because the Word works. And uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, that, that parable of the sower is really an important one. Uh, I'd like to just refer you back to that, to spend some time with it, to find out when God's word is sown, as I hope I'm doing this morning, what kind of soil is it finding? And the soil is, where's our heart? What are we open to? What are we looking for? Do we value God's word? Will we listen to it? You know, Jesus often used the expression, let those who have ears to hear, hear. Well, what he's talking about is that a lot of people can hear the words, but they don't hear anything. And, uh, but if we have something to say, the word has its own power. And, uh, and that power changes us so that we become good soil. So that there's a hundredfold good fruit comes from our lives. And that every one of us is a, a participant in the, in the message of God. Because every one of us has neighbors. We do. Uh, we've got, uh, we're in a, the end of a cul-de-sac and four houses in the cul-de-sac are very caring and friendly for each other. And uh, immediately next door to our uh, south side is a guy who grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran, he went to St. John's, he went to Lutheran High School. Uh, he went to the junior college in Nebraska. Uh, that town is escaping me for a moment, but you know it. <laughs> and. Uh, but he never goes to church or anything. And so every time I see him out, I try to wander over as a good neighbor and say, well, what do you think? What do you think about the Lord? And he said, oh, he said, gosh, I remember all those great basketball games in your gymnasium at, at St. John's. I said, well, no. <laughs> you know, last time I talked to you, you said you knew you were going to hell. You still think that? And... Uh, he said, yeah, I know that that's the only thing I deserve. And I said, now, come on, if you grew up in a Lutheran church, you know that if you got what you deserved, you and I and every person on earth would have disappeared a long time ago. So that has nothing to do with it. And he said, yeah, I know. But I've asked him that question a dozen times over the last year, and it's always, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I've done so many terrible things. I'm go I know I'm going to hell. Well, Judy and I have been trying to scheme about how do we get a Bible study group going in our house to get the neighbors in. Uh, because it makes me miserable to know this guy. He heard the truth. And he even kind of, he, he knows it in his head, but he doesn't know it in his spirit. And the word of God is what pierces through that thickness. And we are the, God, the carriers of God's message. 
And I'm going to wrap up with an illustration of how that, uh, how the word works by its own power. It's a conduit of the, of the Holy Spirit. I have a pastor friend of mine who was so passionate about getting that out to people that he was preaching once on a, on the, the use of God's word and he hooked up a garden hose to the, the Bible on the, on the altar, kind of, taped it down on that, ran it out down the central aisle of the congregation. And he said, now, the word in that Bible is going to convey the Holy Spirit right down, right through this whole congregation. And that's what the, what the Bible says of itself. It creates what it speaks. And that was how I came to faith, because uh, my parents weren't believers. I didn't grow up believing. Uh, and uh, as that depression I mentioned came in my junior year of college, and I had uh, two roommates. They, too, came down with a major depressive disorder. Uh, so, of course, sleep disorder is a major symptom of depression, and uh, so about 2 a.m. every night, one of us would wake up and couldn't sleep, and We'd whisper out, hey, guys, are you awake? And the other two would always say, yeah, you too. And uh, so then we'd get up and say, well, let's eat. <laughs> and that's another problem. It's an eating disorder with depression. So if any of you find sleep and eating problems, why, ask yourself, what's my mood these days? But uh, anyway, Judy's mom was tired of her dating this this pagan, and she had tried for years. She was of Finnish origin, and Judy is 100% Finnish in ethnicity. Family history of uh, Finnish Lutheranism back for centuries, and her mom was outraged at me. She, uh, she didn't like my looks because I lifted weights and I looked a lot better than I do now. And uh, uh, and she didn't like that I wore muscle shirts and stuff, and uh, she thought that was crude, and she didn't like my car because it had loud pipes, and she was sure I was going to corrupt her daughter. Well, she needn't have worried because that girl, even as a teenager, her faith that came to her as a as a small child you know, she was not about to succumb to any pagans things. So, uh, but her mom kept trying and trying to get rid of me. In fact, telling me to stay away or she's going to call the police even, but uh, she never did. But she finally decided she had to change strategy. And she said, Don, one time when I came to see Judy, and if you will go to the pastor's class at St. John's, his seekers class, which is every Sunday night, I'll give you Sunday dinner, and you may take my daughter out, and no curfew. Uh, will you do it? And I thought, boy, that's a deal. There's no, <laughs> no Sunday food in the dorm, and uh, a free meal, free access to the, to the love of my life. And uh, so, of course, I'll do it. So we showed up, and uh, that was at St. John's. Little imagining I'd ever be senior pastor at that place, and. Uh, Pastor Paul 
there we go, Judy <laughs> Hanson was the senior pastor at that time. And uh, a very fine preacher, teacher of God's word. And, uh, and the class was two hours every Sunday night for three months. And I thought, well, you know, and he, he said at the beginning, now all of you who complete this course will be eligible for membership at St. John's. Well, I wasn't there for that. I was there for access to Judy. And uh, <laughs> so, but if that was the price, I was going to pay it. And, uh, but I found out that as the weeks went by, and the hours, those two hours every Sunday evening, that I was eager to come listen again. And he was very open. Ask questions. Challenge me. If you have doubts, express your doubts. We're all in this together. And so I expressed all of my agnostic views and stuff. And he pleasantly and easily answered all of my criticisms or questions. And I began thinking, this guy really knows knows something I don't. And then at the last, at the end of the three months, he said, he announced to the class uh, at the end of that session, thanked us all for coming, or about 25 of us, and he said, uh, if you're going to become a member of the church, please, uh, before you leave this evening, uh, let me know, because we want to have a reception for you at church next Sunday and have refreshments and things, and, and I need to know who's going to be coming in. Well, of course, I didn't give him my name because I wasn't there to become a member of St. John's. But on, on Thursday of that next week, I woke up in the middle of the night feeling very uneasy and very strange. And I was just lying there, couldn't sleep, and I didn't know what in the world is wrong. And I, and I suddenly had a picture of Pastor Hansen's face looking at me. And I instantly, I, I knew what the problem was, that I did too want to become a member of that church. And uh, as I acknowledged that, all of a sudden, bells, whistles, and lights came on. And, uh, and uh, to use Luther's expression when he read uh, Romans 1.17, that Abraham believed God and his faith was considered his righteousness. And I knew instantly that what had happened to me was that the Holy Spirit had given me faith and that I believed and that I desperately needed to be with believers. So then when I got up that morning, I called Pastor Hansen and said, hey, is it too late? <laughs> no, no. So... That began, began a long experience. But the one thing that happened to me instantly was the depression disappeared. Uh, I know it had to do with coming to faith, that an entire new being was born again in me. And I became what the Apostle Paul writes, a new creation in Christ. Because of the word of God that that mother-in-law of mine <laughs> tricked me into hearing. 
So that followed me. I, I, I got it. And so at that same time, I felt a call to be a pastor, but I had no idea how you became a pastor. And, uh, and so we got married right after that. And uh, nine months later, a kid was born, and, and uh, I couldn't go to seminary anyway. I had to go out and make a living. So I followed my psychology career and spent 20 years. But uh, that call to, to be a pastor never went away. So at the age of 40, 43, I guess it was, I went to Concordia, St. Louis. And my first call was to a congregation in Queens, New York. And it was a very broken congregation. Had, had terrible warfare between pastor and people. And half the people had left. And uh, they needed a lot of healing. And they certainly needed more members because it turned out that the church was bankrupt. And the elders apologized and said, Pastor, we, uh, we're sorry, but we can't pay you because we don't have any money. And I said, oh, that's okay. God will provide. And no, no sweat. Well, that, I, that doesn't make any difference. And they were surprised at that because my forebear had been after more money all the time that he'd been there for four or five years. But I knew at that point what God provides, what he can do. And by faith, I knew it was okay. It didn't matter. And uh, so then they called a congregational meeting and they said, now, Pastor, what do we do? And I said, well, as a congregation, we begin tithing next week. And uh, they said, well, how can we do that? we got to have everything that comes in to keep the lights on around here. I said, well, no, God knows how to do that. And so, well, they shrugged and said, hey, let's humor this new guy. And uh, But the next Sunday, the offerings doubled from the previous week. And for all 10 years I was there, the offerings every week were significantly more than the week before. And we had enough money to do anything. We added on to the school. We gave money to other congregations that needed help. And always still had money in the bank and again involved in, in world mission activities. And, uh, but it's, it's God's word that produces that kind of faith and trust that changes the way we think about what's going on. That what looks like disaster is not too difficult for God. And how do we get a hold of that in us? Just get that pipeline going by reading God's word regularly. I can just promise you that if you'll spend time, and some of you have lives you can't spend an hour or even 45 minutes before you've got to be out of the house each morning. Well, take 10 minutes because it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a little bit of strength for the day. And then maybe when you get home at the end of the day, you can read some more. Or if it's only 10 minutes every day, do it. Because you'll meet the power of the Holy Spirit that'll enable you to understand how to live and who you are. Well, uh, that, uh, that realization that the word works was so important in that church that I found that, uh, that if I could 
find a way, even if it was by skullduggery like Judy's mom used on me, to get people in the church to hear the word of God, they'd come to faith because the word works. So we were in a very heavily Roman Catholic neighborhood and huge congregation, huge church building, two blocks from our church. And uh, so I began advertising in that geographic area newsletter. Would you like to get married in a beautiful church? And our, ours was a beautiful church with original Tiffany stained glass windows in it. And, uh, and that ad said, would you like to get married in a beautiful church at no cost? Because I'd found out that the Catholics charged $500 to do a marriage. So <laughs> from then on, I had, I'd had weddings all the time. And, uh, but they'd come and they'd say, we saw your ad. Is that true? I said, absolutely. Not only do you not have to pay to a church rental, I will not accept any honorarium from, from you. It's absolutely, totally free. And they said, what's the catch? And I said, well, yeah, you're right. There is one. You've got to come to my Abundant Life class every Sunday night for two hours for three months. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? So they would think about it, and they'd go away kind of. Usually the, the women were, okay, let's do it. And the guys, well, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'd say, well, think about it and call me. Well, almost all of them called and said, yeah, okay. And the word worked. Our congregation grew like crazy with former Catholics. Over half of the congregation when I left was former Roman Catholics, rejoicing in a saved by grace message through faith apart from works. Boy, they became great Lutherans. <laughs> and the priests would sometimes complain to me a bit. You're stealing my, stealing my sheep, but uh, and no, I'm not. Your sheep are eating my grass. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that's enough, folks. But uh, I hope some of these things I've been sharing with you will cause you to look at yourself and say, is the Holy Spirit really working in me? Am I connected to the pipeline? Because the pipeline is the word of God. And it's in that Bible. And it'll spread right out into you and it'll soak into your spirit and boy when you talk to the neighbor or a grandkid that's not doing very well in many ways you'll find you know what to tell them you'll just know it I promise you so uh, well that's enough I always preach too long and uh, thank you for hanging in with me and God's blessings be with you and with me as I try to figure out where we go from here. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was filled with joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about Hope Lutheran Church, please visit our website at www.hopeaurora.org. Send an email to office at hopeaurora.org or call us at 303-364-7416. This has been The Word of Hope.